All right. Well, welcome back to Red Thread Podcast. This is going to be kind of a part two on the year without a summer. Um, started to go off in a, in a different direction, kind of involving the War of 1812, Napoleon, and so on. Uh, but I wanted to kind of step back in and touch back on the craters throughout our realm. Um, some examples of what an explosion crater is going to look like. Um, so there are some that were explosion caused lakes and craters. So we're going to take a look at a couple of those. <clears throat> One is a 2015 Tianjin explosion in China. And it looks pretty, pretty generic type of crater, kind of like we'd see everywhere. Um, and we've got some uh, examples of World War II Germany, you know, uh, craters just, you know, and, and these look a lot like when you go to Northern America and you look at all this tiny lakes, you know, you have the land of a thousand lakes and so on. There's, you know, a ton of these little tiny circular lakes. And so these are just some examples. Um, we've got some bombing in Laos, Vietnam, and they're all, you know, relatively uniform and circular. And these are just conventional bomb, uh, you know, kind of craters. Okay. So some getting into some larger ones, we get down to Kazakhstan, Lake Chagan, Chagan, okay, in Kazakhstan is created by the Chagan nuclear test fired January 15th, 1965. Okay, this was a 140 kiloton device uh, buried 178 meters down or 584 feet deep. So when you have these at depth, you have a significantly larger crater. Um, the crater is 400 meters across and 100 meters deep. So um, 100 meters deep being 330 feet. So that's interesting. Um, but anyway, they refer to these as atomic lakes. And you'll see some, some demonstrations here in the Yucca Flat, Nevada area. And, and they're just like everywhere. And now this perspective, this point of view up here, looking at all these different circular lakes, um, looks very much like Minnesota, um, parts of Canada, parts of Siberia. I mean, this is, this is happening all around, and it's usually near where we have vast swaths of desert. Um, it's usually going to be in an area that the, you know, the wildlife and the trees and such are, are very young, if they even exist at all. I mean, look at our deserts in Nevada and such, right? So a lot of people would say, hey, you know, well, we didn't have nuclear devices, you know, prior to, uh, to World War II. And, um, you know, to be quite honest, that may very well be true. We may still not have nuclear devices. There may be another element to this that we're just not privy to, um, you know, like another energetic element, another means with which they're able to create these massive, you know, discharges of energy. Okay. So it could be something different. Now, my theory is uh, when you look at the, the fall of Tartaria and you look at, you know, Napoleon, you know, we've got Napoleon's comet, seemed like it followed him and just laid waste to things throughout the period of time that he was conquesting over there in, uh, in Russia, right? So comets, are they really falling bodies from space? And that's kind of one of the big questions. Um, and if they are not falling bodies from space, 
how are they gaining enough kinetic energy to wreak the havoc that they are? Is it a possibility that these could, the comets that we hear of could actually be, uh, you know, man-made or, or humanity made, maybe not our, our humanity, but you know, man-made um, weapons of some kind. Like we see, you know, uh, in references in the Indian lore uh, of, of this battle of the gods, right? Were we witnessing the last battle of these larger people, right? These larger, uh, these Tartars, these, these from Tartarus, from Tartaria, who, uh, you know, may have been giants or may have been, you know, previous civilization. Ultimately, we're not going to find out exactly what happened because of course you know history is written by the victors okay so whatever that means the people that are pitching us all the stories now these are the people that won won the day okay they uh achieved what they needed to to roll out everything that we now know in this realm all right so um now if you were to establish your empire and be rid of whatever the old one was would you really want anybody to know about that old empire or the people that came before or would it just be you know 100 easier to rewrite everything you know start a new patent system lump all the inventions in there under names of people that you've handpicked to to be that guy right um you know, like the Rothschilds, like the Rockefellers, and so on. So you've got these groups of people that are handpicked by whom, you know, we'll, we'll just say the all-seeing eye, right? There's, there's uh, in that symbolism, there is something at the top of the pyramid that's watching everything, that's kind of dishing out the, uh, the info. And, you know, some might look at it nowadays as like, as like gray aliens or, you know, or the watchers, right? Like uh, as something kind of above us and beyond us. Now it could very, very well just be uh, a different group of people, um, larger or not, you know, a different group of people that have all of the information and are pulling the strings. But anyway, I was getting off on tangent there. So you see that these craters here, are, are very symmetrical. They're very round. Okay. Um, we even have one called Sedan Crater in Nevada. And, and this is uh, located in the in Nevada test site near Area 51. And this thing is 100 meters deep. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're setting these things off underground. And this is what creates this massive kind of thing. Now, um, that being said, if you were in a position where you have to bail out on your on your land, all right? Like say you're Tartarians in Russia and you have, uh, you know, built your infrastructure. You have, you know, your epic cities and you have, to be quite honest, you would have labyrinths underneath your cities to facilitate things like, you know, water flow, right? Um, you know, there are catacombs beneath many, many of the cathedrals and things that we see on the surface. There's a lot more going on underneath, okay? So if you had your, your tech centers, your, um, 
you know, your infrastructure or your scientific infrastructure, you would most likely keep that underground, much like we do today. And if you had that technology, so on and so forth, being kept underground and you were being taken over, you were being overthrown, you're being usurped, what are you going to do? You're going to destroy that stuff. You're not going to let the next people coming in, you know, that are going to come and raise your entire cities or your entire land. You're not going to hand them this technology. Okay. And so that's what I think happened. I think that they, uh, you know, especially in the case of 1812, uh, you know, Russia, 1812 to 1816. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that may very well have, have been the thing. Now, another interesting thing that I was taking a look at is when you see all these, uh, you know, comets, the Great Comet of 1811, uh, the Six-Tailed Comet of 1644. I mean, we're talking several hundred years of comets coming down in on the regular, okay? And I mean, starting all the way back 1401, you know what I mean, is in Germany, okay? So we have, and, and with these comets, always comes decimation, plague, I mean, you name it, you know, um, but they were so regularly, like so regularly where they see in comets every 15 years, 10 years, um, 100 years. So this is just what we have the information on, right? Um, there's one in 1744 called Flowers of the Sky. I mean, I don't know about you, but to me, this looks like something, you know, exploding to me, right? That doesn't look like it's in the sky. It looks like these are coming from the ground. So Looks very similar to, uh, you know, a uh, an explosion, right? So, and then as as you come through here and you see the Great Meteor of 1868, I mean, these things were going off nonstop throughout this warring period, right? Throughout the time where the Civil War is happening, the War of 1812, we've got the Revolutionary War. I mean, dude, just war, war, war. Okay, so if you are in a position to have and be using technology to inflict damage upon your adversary, you're going to use it in, in a time of war. And this is all obviously a vast swath of warring time here, okay? So this is 1875, a bow over Athens. I mean, we've got them nonstop everywhere. And it gets pretty interesting because you start to look, and if you're uh, you know into flat earth or the heliocentrical lie and all these other things, you're going to understand how interesting these rockets look once they hit a certain altitude. They look eerily similar to comets. And, you know, it's very easy to say, oh, well, that, that can't possibly be. But, I mean, look at this. This is the uh, Atlas V rocket, um, you know, outside of Florida after it goes up and it, and it hits altitude. And then you have this very comet-esque appearance here right now if you were an average layman 200 300 years ago and you knew nothing of of war and you knew nothing of what was going on as far as conflict in the world and you looked up at the sky and you saw this what would you think personally i would think comet right and so the uh, explanation we're given for a lot of these craters are you know oh this was fifty thousand years ago this was uh millions of years ago right um 
and so we're given this explanation and it's always pushed way back in time, way back in time. That way it's irrelevant to us. And, you know, that's a very functional way to get people to ignore things. When you say, no, that happened 50,000 years ago, that happened a million years ago, people just tend to be okay with it. I mean, humanity as a whole are very, uh, very trusting people for the most part, right? Until we learn that we've been lied to over and over again. Then you start looking into things. Then, you know, massive forums like Stolen History pop up and we all start to put our pieces in together and, and try to learn what exactly was going on, okay? So an interesting uh, circular lake is called Kingsley Lake and this is in Florida, okay? It, this is, uh, it's a 2000 acre lake, <laughs> okay? It's massive. And it has a sandy bottom, the deepest part being about 100 feet down. Um, so circular, it's called, pilots call it the Silver Dollar Lake. Now, looking at the, the not just the size of this circle, but just the symmetry of this circle, they would have us believe that, you know, a meteor came in at an off angle. So is this thing, a meteor is never going to drop in straight down. Okay, it's going to drop in at an angle. How would you wind up with this circular perfect circle? Okay, and that's just one. We've got some in Cambodia, right? Um, and, and this, this one is, is supposedly a 4,000-year-old volcanic crater. Okay, I'm beginning to not buy any of these stories that come from meteorology uh, you know, or the science machine that is in place now. Okay. Uh, so we are told that this is a 4,000 year old volcanic crater and, uh, we have some in Spain. I mean, you pick a continent, they are there. Okay. Here's another one in Florida, perfectly circular. Okay. So keep in mind that the shape of Florida over the last four or 500 years has changed drastically on maps. Okay. So uh, the folklore is that this lake was formed by a large meteor crashing to Earth centuries ago. So it's it's a mile in circumference. Okay, that's massive. All right, and we'll get into what what would it take to create this type of of you know situation. Okay, now there are some like Crater Lake in Oregon that's a little bit more irregular, right? A little bit more regular. Um. And it's just, it's interesting to look at all of these craters. I mean, India, we have them. Kankaria Lake uh, supposedly is, uh, let's see what happened with this one. It was completed in 1451. So this is supposedly a man-made lake created in 1451. Uh, the Sultan built it. Okay. <laughs> so... And it's 20 to 30 feet deep. Okay. So it's interesting that they point some of these out and they're like, oh, that's man-made. But they tell you this thing was, was basically dug out in the 1400s. How? No explanation. Okay. So that's one. Another one, Lonar Crater Lake, supposedly formed 50,000 years ago. There are numerous temples around the lake, most of which are in ruins. And if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to a lot of these, you know, lake situations with these massive circular lakes, oftentimes we will find temples in the center. We will find uh, cathedrals ruined in the middle of these lakes. So 
is it too much to think that these were strategically wiped out? Right. Um, especially when you consider, like I was saying, that underground beneath these cathedrals, you have catacombs, you have vast complexes underground. Okay. And if you are keeping your technology, your research and stuff secret from other city states or from other groupings of people, uh, you know, you would have it underground. And in the event that you had to bounce out of there, right, in the event that you're being taken over, you're being usurped, you would not want this stuff to fall in the hands of the oncoming army. Okay. So it's very interesting. Um, the creator itself uh, supposedly was built in honor of Vishnu's victory over the giant Lonasur. So you know, we'll get into what that means, you know, some other time. But anyway, um, the Pingaluit crater, uh, approximately 1.4 million years old, um, a meteor impact that had the force of 8,500 Hiroshima-sized atomic bombs. So Hiroshima-sized atomic bomb is not, by rights, it's not a massive, you know, device. Okay, so when you say 8,500 Hiroshima bombs, we have we have uh, devices that are capable of something like that yield currently. Okay. Um, don't ever put it past us as humans. Our, our power of destructive capability is extreme. Okay. To say the least. All right. Now, if you were to, you know, have a, a, a different means, like say maybe not an enriched, you know, uh, isotope, means of of creating this explosion but something more like along the lines of like a hydrogen explosion where you're splitting just the one atom you create a much larger kind of explosion and if you have this buried a thousand meters or 100 meters deep which is approximately where you're subflooring and everything like if you had area 51 and this thing had an explosion in the underground areas it would create a massive crater much like these so very interesting stuff. Um, we have these craters in Estonia. I mean, all throughout the forest, there's tons and tons of them, I'm sure, in the more heavily wooded and, you know, floral areas of, uh, you know, like the Amazon and things like this. So along with pyramids and these other structures that are decimated all around the world, you find these lakes, these circular lakes. So it's, it's really strange, right? Like coincidence? I don't think so, especially when you start to look at Russia. I mean, massive, massive stretches of land in Russia just pockmarked, right, with, with uh, supposed meteor craters, okay? And uh, I mean, it's just insane. And this is across North America also. Uh, you have it across Northern Africa, uh, like I was saying in the last video. But I just want to show some more, you know, examples here uh, because it's absolutely nuts to think that there that there was a massive, uh, you know, continent-wide <clears throat> culture, right, that just disappeared or just moved away, or 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 you know what I mean? That that just was erased so readily from our history. Okay. No, it's appearing more and more like, listen, these people were putting up a fight and these people did not want to go by the wayside. Okay. Um, but they sure as hell didn't want 
all of their information, all of their research, all of their technology, they didn't want all this stuff falling into the hands of the would-be controllers, okay? And they already had several cities which were technological in themselves that were falling link claim to by these controllers coming in by the French army. And, uh, you know, personally, I think that Napoleon's army, the French army, as much as they're touted to be the good guys uh, by some circles, you know, I think this was just another, another, uh, another, you know, dagger in the hand of, of the control mechanism. Okay. Um, I think that the Romanovs were one also, you know, uh, the French were one, the Spanish, right? The Portuguese, you had all of these different points of the same, you know, teeth of the same shark, right? So uh, if you were backing out and you were like in Tartaria and you had this essentially worldwide, you know, machine of, of industry, of culture, of humanity, right? Um, you're you're not going to give it up lightly. And I think that that's why we see this warring period going back to the 1400s. What exactly happened to change the paradigm back then? I'm not 100% sure, but it was right about that time that we start having instances of comets happening all the time. Um, and again, with comets resembling so closely uh, rockets uh, grazing you know, the barrier above, Who's to say that that these these uh, astrological phenomenon were not produced by a peoples uh, and, you know, did not have something to do with technology or with, you know, destruction. OK, so you see this. And, and I mean, these getting to larger and larger kind of craters, you know, much like the one off the Yucatan Peninsula that we're told finished the dinosaurs off. This is like a massive, what, thousand mile wide crater, something to that effect. We also have some uh, one in Hudson Bay. Okay. Um, let's see. Hudson Bay was not on all these older maps and, and neither were the Great Lakes for that matter. So, you know, a lot of lakes were not included in any old cartography. All right. So it's very interesting. Now it's called the Great Hudson Arc. Okay. It's uh. It's a 250-mile-wide circular structure, okay, that's, that's in the Hudson Bay. And it's, it's very regularly circular, okay? You know, here's a, a photo of that for you guys. And it's just, it's interesting because, you know, right in the center of it, there's still some land mass. And it, and it just makes me wonder, honestly, what was there? What was there that, that necessitated being leveled to such an extent? Uh, now, this is the same kind of area that would have would have been, you know, from what, what we understand, uh, part of Tartaria. Um, and that's simply because Tartaria was basically the largest land owner or, you know, the largest uh, empire where they had so much land through through the Californias, through North America, through Siberia, Russia, down to China. Um, you know, uh, this was the major power that the British and the Russians, as we know them now, and the Spanish were competing against for control of the realm. Okay. So 
Now, whether whether they're responsible for all of the structures in the world that we're you know questioning and things like that, uh, you know, remains yet to be seen. But there's definitely proof of this Tartarian uh, kind of influence at a minimum through Alaska and down to California. Okay, which makes sense considering that at one point there was you know a land bridge there um, that we also probably had flying machines and so on. So. And, and, you know, a lot of this stuff that I'm presenting, it, it, you have to look at it like, simply put, uh, as though history is written by the victors. So you're not going to get the whole story. And to believe that you are being handed anything but a story is, I don't know, it's an, an interesting place to be mentally, okay? So, but looking at others' research, and fortunately enough, there's a large community out here that is doing tons of work to compile this and put them all this research into one place. Um, you know, I've told you what, uh, where you can go and find a lot of these threads. And it's interesting that, that it, this is a forum that I'm, you know, using research off of because this is red thread podcast. So we'll tie some of these threads together and we'll see what we can uh, come up with here. So the Hudson, the great Hudson arc, 250 mile diameter, thing now here's a map of earth impact sites which are confirmed right um they uh, this is a, a nasa topographic map right so you know just using it for reference of confirmed with shock or chemical evidence of explosions or of impacts okay and these things are everywhere like i was saying especially in the northern hemisphere Okay, and, and that's why when I was talking about the year without a summer, 1816, now, if you had this massive you know, devastation happening right around 1811 and 1812, when it came to Napoleon going into Russia, and you had, you know, the Tartars are, are realizing that they've lost and are just burning everything down and destroying everything as they leave. Okay, that's, that's a possibility. Okay. Now, did they have massive weapons which could kick up enough particulates to blot out the sun for three years? Possibly. And when you look at all of these quote-unquote impact sites in the northern hemisphere, uh, northern Siberia, all the way across the Bering Strait, we have one in a couple in Alaska, um, all the way down through uh, you know the the southwest in America, all around where Chicago and the Great Lakes are. Um, and, and these are verified. Now there's a 300, 100 to 300 kilometer diameter one right in the, uh, we'll call it in the Northeast, um, just East of the Great Lakes. Okay. Massive, massive, uh, impact crater, right? Again, one off the coast of the Yucatan here. So are we seeing physical evidence of the Mahabharata level conflict where grand war was raged on the earth population uh, possibly okay or was it just to keep these people these maniacs that are running things now from gaining control has this been a long drug out battle of good versus evil if you want to look at it that way but of sovereignty versus slavery right uh, I think that you could look at it like that, that you could look at these wars, these revolutionary wars, these battles against slavery and all of this stuff 
you know, we're obviously in a slave state now. Okay. It's pretty straightforward and understood that we are slaves to the system. Okay. Now, um, a lot of people say, well, that just must have, we must have been, you know, slaves to giants or something before this. Who knows, right? But there is a lot of evidence suggesting that sometime in the 15th, 16th, and 17th century, that this, this war may have been taking place, okay? And this is why, you know, I, I was finding it very difficult to gain traction on research looking through mainstream sources, looking at Wikipedia, looking at different histories for different areas based on the mainstream. I always wound up at the year 1450 with nothing really tangible or credible before that, okay? So that being said, this war could have taken place or started about 400 years ago, okay? So the Vedas, uh, the Brahmastras mentioned in the epics and Vedas as a weapon of last resort that was never to be used in combat. So these massive explosives, okay, may not have been what they were using early on. Okay, they may have just been using some conventional things or some energy, uh, you know, methods to to, you know, lay waste to things. Um, But it seems like at the end there, especially when you get into, you know, the early 1800s and you see these years without a summer and there was one in 1717 also. So this war may very well and most likely was happening over you know the entire stretch of history all the way back to like the year 1400 okay um possibly the early 1400s which is why you know christopher columbus would need to be invented and would need to uh come back in and say okay well we just discovered america in the late 1400s uh because if you had in that period of time a lot of this devastation and this was maybe primarily what was happening in the Americas was the assertment of what could be called Tartaria um, or the old world at that time. Okay. Uh, Or, you know, the sovereignty, the constitutional Republic that was America that is now a corporation. Okay. Um, This could have been what happened prior to supposed Columbus. All right. Which is why everything needed to be rediscovered because everything was devastated. We see evidence of rediscovery of vast, you know, areas of continents uh, happening right about that time and all the way forward through to like the 17 and 1800s, Um, especially the Americas. The Americas, a little bit further back, right around 1490, like we're saying with Columbus, uh, all of America had to be rediscovered, right? Especially, you know, getting uh, west of the Mississippi. Um, That was all, you know, terra incognita why that was the case when you know prior to that there's uh you know evidence uh, you know the the dating on the maps is hard to kind of stick down and nail down but anyway impact sites all over the world especially in areas where there's vast desert um and uh you know tons of this stuff going on in in europe as well which is interesting and i mean dude australia is just riddled you know and and as you know now that's a, a vast continent of of you know wasteland for you there so anyway um were we looking at this what was known as the war of the gods okay was this the last hurrah of these larger anunnaki type giant people possibly 
Another interesting thing is the ruins landscape art popular in the 17th century. So this comes with the rediscovery of all of this land, which was already devastated. Okay. And, you know, it makes sense to me that as you rediscovered all this land, when you find these fallen temples, you would find technology of the ancients. Um, and it, it reminds me of these, the ruin haunters and the archetypes of humanity that I did with Ryan on uh, um, all tomorrows, right? Like there was this group called the ruin haunters and they would, you know, haunt the ruins and they would gain technology and insight from this old infrastructure that they were able to get first access to. I think a lot of that's been happening. Okay. Um, which is, you know, it's just interesting when you look at the 17th century art and you see tons and tons of devastated, decimated, massive temples. And, you know, if you think that the cathedrals that we're looking at in the Tartaria topic are massive, you got another thing coming. The infrastructure that is shown in this ruin landscape art was unbelievably huge. Okay. Like, like uh, just insanely massive, and especially when you look at the two different sizes of humanity that are often in this art, you have a larger humanity and a smaller humanity. So that in itself is interesting. Okay. So moving on to, uh, you know, Tartaria and the reason, you know, things would have looked different to the Tartarians back then, because as you see on this map here, um, the Atlantic would have essentially been like an inland sea to these people. Okay. Because they would have had control over the entire Americas and the entire Eurasian landmass. All right. So, so the Atlantic would have just been an inland sea to these people. There would have been no sweat to, you know, travel back and forth. Um, same thing through the Bering Strait. Uh, and now if you didn't have this, this winter, this epic northern hemispheric winter that we are all used to, which may very well be due in part to, you know, catastrophic, you know, decimation of these areas, which on old, old maps, we're talking cities spread out everywhere through Siberia, through Greenland. There's other islands called Friesland and so on uh, in the Northern Ocean, Northern Atlantic that are not there anymore. Um, combine that with like that circular crater thing in the Hudson Bay, um, you know, and then there's more when you get over to like Northern Ireland, there's some, uh, I'll probably be pulling up like a Google map at some point in the future to start looking at some of these like massive craters and things, um, because I think it's important for people to understand that this transition that happened this did not happen instantly. This did not happen, you know, neatly. <laughs> okay. At all. It was not a neat process. This has been just an insane series of wars going on for at least four or 500 years. Okay. So very, very interesting. Uh, the Arctic, the Pacific, and the Atlantic would have been the inland waters of Great Tartary. So that being said, um, you know, they wouldn't have wanted to let go of any of their their land or their progress or any of that. But as as you know, uh, based on situations in the world we live in, these people that are controlling now, they're very, very persistent. And they're very, very um, they've got things planned out over the long scheme. Right. So they didn't have to win all of this at once. They stretched it out over several hundred years. 
and how they would do that. Uh, I think we're going to save like for another video to get into the clones and, and things like that. But I, I wanted to touch with you on what type of people the Tartarian may have been. They would have been like, a, you know, a Caucasian type of people, fair, fair skinned, uh, green, you know, green, uh, green eyes, blonde hair, tall. OK, um, the land of Tark and Tara. Those were the, the names of their, you know, um, predecessors. Right. Like. Uh, so the different aspects of, you know, uh, of them, uh, kind of an Adam and Eve, if you will. So, uh, and, and, you know, when you have war waged against you and you start to realize that, listen, these people aren't going to stop until we are gone, you're going to pull out all the stops, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, Napoleon's on your doorstep, right? And, you uh, you know, your last stand is, is all but shot, you know, uh, your, your capital of, of, uh, of Siberia or of Russia. I mean, Napoleon's right there on your doorstep. So what are you going to do? Well, you might opt to either save as many people as you can or retreat, but in the middle of winter, how would you even go about that? Or maybe you're put into a position, you know, where, where you, um, just say, hey, you know what? Fuck it. We're going out with a blaze of blaze of fury, right? And and that will lead you to a situation like we see some suggestions for, uh, in the uh, War of 1812. And again, here are some some photos of some thermonuclear explosions. At least that's what we're told they are. Could they be other energetic type events? Possibly. Um, here are some more of these ring lakes, uh, the Karst lakes very common in Russia, especially in Siberia, okay? Um, we have artwork from the period demonstrating huge fires and things like this. So uh, again, about the year with no summer in Russia, there's no reports of, of any climate issues. But again, this is the time where Napoleon is going over there and taking over and, and everything else. So, okay, um, now, at this period of time, we had the English colonial, uh, you know, armies uh, taking over much of India, uh, much of, you know, uh, Laos, Cambodia, so on and so forth. So, you know, there's there's kind of this tightening noose happening around Tartaria at this point in time. So Napoleon entered Moscow on September 2nd after a terrible battle near the village of Borodino, Russian troops successfully repelling all the attacks of the French retaining reserves and having their disposal, excellent position and strong rear suddenly retreated. Okay. Now they didn't just retreat, but they gave the enemy the biggest city in the country to reproach its historical center. Right. So it, not only are they retreating, they're bailing out on their, their most treasured asset They're you know, Moscow. Right. So the, uh, Emperor Alexander I proclaimed Moscow the head of other Russian cities, all right? Now, as soon as Napoleon crossed the border, so that he was not mistaken with the direction of the main attack, probably, uh, you know, he turns and, and looks, looks out, basically turns and looks out, and uh, looks out and sees 
uh, you know, he sees his army coming on and everything. Um, and, and, and it's just dead quiet. It's dead quiet. And he's like, what the heck's going on here? Right. Um, so he kind of stays outside of, of Moscow a little bit and just basically sends his army in. Right. Um, what's interesting is, is the, this, this Russian, you know, we, we had, uh, we had supposedly a battle going on between Napoleon and the Russians also, which is interesting. I'm not hundred percent on that. I think it was kind of a dual edge thing against the Tartarians at this point. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, they all retreat out of Moscow. Right. And uh, 30,000 are wounded. A huge, huge number of weapons are thrown. Um so, so why did Napoleon, you know, as he's coming into Moscow, sit up on top of Polonyaya Hill and wait for what? What is he waiting for? He doesn't want to enter Moscow, but why? You know, he knew it was empty. Uh, he knew uh, no one was going to try to battle him in the streets, um, you know, despite the old Russian habit of fighting for every house. Um, see, and this is where it gets confusing when you start looking at was he taking over Moscow from the Russians who had just taken it from the Tartars or was there something else going on here? Was there a group of Russians that were still embedded with the Tartarian kind of hierarchy? Right. So it's hard to say, especially with the, the several hundred years of war going on in, in this world. Right. So um, Russians have a habit of fighting for every house, right? Uh, as it was in Smolensk and many other places. So maybe he smelled a trap. But anyway, something told him that, you know, these experienced commanders like Kutuzov, whom he knew from previous wars, wars do not hand over their historical centers of their homeland. Okay. Especially with well fortified positions, secured with strong rears and also reserves. However, he had nowhere to go. It's winter. So he had to go to Moscow now, at least in a minimum to have something to barter with. Okay. So by this time, Napoleon had already lost his numerical advantage. Most importantly, his confidence. Okay. Of all his battles of all my battles, the worst is the one I gave near Moscow um, is something that he said after the battle. Now, the interesting thing, and, and the plot gets ever thicker, thicker here. Um, so, you know, he was unaware that no one was going to enter negotiations with him. Uh, every, you know, this was all a plan for whoever was occupying that land prior, whether it was the Russians or the Tartarians. Uh, you know, there's not a lot on that specifically. We have the historical accounts for things that happened, but we also have some interesting accounts that um, basically show that Kutsov received an order to leave Moscow. Uh, because his army had fulfilled the task and lured uh, Napoleon into the trap. Okay. So he, he takes off with his army. He's got to save the army. Okay. So they bail. And uh, as for the Muscovites, they all knew that Moscow would be abandoned and it was necessary to carry away the legs in order not to get Bonaparte. So, which will not stand on ceremony and will rob, kill, and rape. So, as they say, who did not hide? However, there were only a few, only 20,000 citizens. 
Okay. So there were still citizens in the city when this, this whole thing kind of unfolded. Um, but the army was gone. You know, the Russian army was gone, apparently. Uh, but anyway, Napoleon, uh, Napoleon's marbleman, Armand de Colincourt, the Oberchief Master of Napoleon, later recalled, a city without inhabitants was embraced in grim silence. During the whole of our long journey, we did not meet a single local resident. So apparently the residents were gone also. They may have been out of there a long time before that with this, you know, battle going on for several, maybe three to 400 years prior. So the trap slammed shut, game caught. Now this is when the fire breaks out in Moscow. There's a ton of artwork showing the fire in Moscow. Okay. Tons of it. Right. Um, and then there's, you know, some that shows just decimated buildings. Got one here. It's the Kremlin in the background behind all the flames. We've got crumbling buildings. And what we are shown as far as what these armies looked like is on horseback, possibly some artillery, right? Some very basic kind of run-of-the-mill, you know, medieval army type stuff. Just horseback, uh, maybe some muskets and things, you know, muskets there. So it, it's interesting what we're shown. And then there's also... Here's where it gets weird, all right? And uh, on the first night, all right, here we go. Two officers were stationed uh, in the Kremlin buildings. From there, they could see the northern and eastern parts of the city. About midnight, they were awakened by an extraordinary light, and they saw that flames engulfed the palaces. At first, it illuminated the graceful and noble outlines of their architecture, and then it all collapsed. So fire, and then everything collapses. On the very first night, the 14th to the 15th, a ball of fire descended over the palace of Prince Trebetskoy and set fire to this structure. So that's very weird. A ball of fire descended over the palace. Okay. An extraordinary light, a fireball, a flame bringing down palaces, right? Not mud waddle and daub huts, but high-rise buildings, bringing them down. Not igniting, but illuminating at first, and then crushing. As for the ball, there are no comments at all. So, you know, guessing for ourselves, looking at other historical documentation, namely uh, atomic testing, um, what do we have here? There's a nuclear test newsreel showing exactly this, a fireball. Now, after this fireball kind of uh, sets in here, what do we have? We have a crushing, a massive shockwave that will just decimate anything in the area, right? So the city center of Moscow was the hardest hit, okay? Despite the fact that it was built up exclusively with stone and brick buildings, even from the Kremlin, almost nothing was left. Although from the surrounding buildings, it was separated by wide areas and moats, such, for example, Alazov Ditch, 34 meters in width and 13 in depth, uh, which passed from the Arsenal Tower to Beklamyshevskaya. Uh, this huge moat after the fire was completely overwhelmed with debris. Um, after that, leveling it became easier than clearing it. All right, so this is why you have all of these channels and moats and things just being filled in after Okay, being turned into what we know as roads now, um, you know, vast majority of citadels and city states and city centers had, uh, you know, walkways alongside of canals. Okay, 
very much like Venice, Italy today, um, and so on. So there's more, you know, more on that another time. But um, so Napoleon, who is accused of setting fire to Moscow and blowing out the Kremlin, uh, you know, he barely even survived during this fire. So after a long search, they found an underground passage near the pile of stones that led to the Moscow River. Through this narrow passage, Napoleon and his officers and guards managed to get out of the Kremlin. All who survived were in a state of shock. So they were walking around the city, stunned by the firestorm, blinded by ashes. They don't recognize where they are. You know, the streets are, it's so smoky, they can't see anything. Uh, streets are turned into piles of ruins. I mean, all that was left of Great Moscow is several surviving houses scattered amongst the ruins. This battered and burned colossus, like a corpse, produced a heavy smell, heaps of ash, and in some places, the ruins of the walls and fragments of raptors that came across alone indicated that there had once been streets here. On the outskirts came across Russian men and women covered with burnt clothes, like ghosts, they wandered among the ruins. Only one-third of the French army, like Moscow, survived. So, following the fire, the disease began. You have people with open wounds, things like this. Uh, now, here's the thing. If you have the capability to cause this devastation, like insane devastation, possibly, you know, a nuclear level event, right? Doesn't, and here's the thing. You can create a massive explosion with uh, conventional means, okay? We're talking massive, right? Very, very similarly, it's called a fuel air explosion detonated in the sky. It will create incredible shockwaves, so on and so forth. There's uh, a lot more to that. Um, if you're interested in looking into that, look up. It's called the SAR. T-S-A-R is the name of the device. Okay. So interesting. another interesting thing, uh, more than 80,000 people died. So for reference... During the atomic explosion in Hiroshima, 70,000 people died. In Nagasaki, 60. Okay. So this may have been of a very similar kind of magnitude. All right. Of the 9,158 buildings, 6,532 were destroyed. So very reminiscent of the end of World War II. Okay. Now, another interesting fact on this is that... Um, a number of years later, not very many years later, Napoleon uh, falls victim to sickness. Okay. And we're going to get to that here in a second. But I want to show something that demonstrates this is the radiation background map of Moscow. Okay. And here in the city center with a torch shining south, <laughs> we have the highest radiation level. And then some miles down off to the side. Uh, we have another pocket. Okay. So interesting that there is a map of radiate radiation background in Moscow that demonstrates that this happened, that there was a radioactive event of some kind in this area relatively recently. Okay. So very interesting. Uh, that that's the case. Now, the French believe that the Muscovites, the Muscovites did it, which would be the Russians, and they even shot four arsonists so that others were discouraged. How are you going to have an arsonist that's going to create this radiation background is beyond me. Okay. Um, 
so I, I found that interesting. Okay. And if this happened this one time, you know, here in Moscow, you know, you can best, you can bet that this is, was happening regularly. Okay. Among other things. All right. Um, you know, comets themselves are very interesting. Okay. Um, they tend to happen, you know, around the same time that a lot of earthquakes and different things like that. So aside from ether tech, which, you know, maybe, facilitating the earthquakes and so on much like the harp system we have in place now is capable of um you know we have the capability of conventional weapons you know the size of things was much larger back then machinery possibly weaponry also i mean if you've seen some of the sizes of the cannons that you know the nazis were putting out in world war ii it's just incredibly massive so shortly before the invasion alexander spoke to the Austrian ambassador. I suppose that at the beginning of the war, we are waiting for defeat, but I am ready for this. Retreating, I will leave behind a desert. So uh, rather than giving up Moscow as it was, the preference was to just destroy the city. So, and, and they were hoping that they had, uh, you know, the capability of wiping out Napoleon at the same time, apparently. So... Very, very interesting stuff. So was this what happened throughout the world over and over and over again, causing craters upon craters? Craters upon craters, perfectly circular craters everywhere. Canada, several thousand lakes in Canada, right? Uh, otherwise, it's a lot of marshland, a lot of tundra kind of uninhabitable really right very interesting stuff um, and we have the link up with the rockets looking suspiciously like comets right very interesting stuff okay and, and see we're not even getting into the energetic side of what comets may possibly be but after looking at some of this some of these could very well be ballistic missiles or rockets it's a valid argument it really is okay so I just want to demonstrate that for you folks and show you that, you know, this, uh, this thing, you know, may very well been just part of war, part of the, the fallout of war, you know? And uh, so I just wanted to demonstrate that and, and just kind of show you guys what I'm looking at uh, on this and, and, what I think may have happened in the Americas, uh, what we're told is the Civil War, right? Um, there's tons more information out there, and I'm really enjoying doing these these uh, kind of micro presentations for you all. Um, hopefully soon I'll be able to get them put over to uh, audio format. I just haven't got around to you know putting the stuff in there yet. But um, I appreciate you all for for coming over and taking a look. Uh, and seeing what's on my mind. And, and I hope that you uh, feel free and put some comments down. Uh, we'll probably be starting up a YouTube pretty soon. It's a little iffy, though. I don't really want to be talking about, you know, nuclear fallout and explosions and a lot of stuff like that on YouTube probably won't go over so well. Plus, there are other topics that I'd like to look into that definitely will get removed from YouTube. So, you know, maybe we'll, uh, we'll stay away from that. But um you know, let, let other folks know to come take a look over here on Odyssey. 
and uh, and plug in here. And if they have, you know, some nagging suspicions about things, go take a look at some of these forums, guys. Go take a look at stolenhistory.org. Tons of awesome stuff on there. Um, I'm having a blast looking through it. There's a lot in, in one place, which makes it easier, especially for presentation wise. Um, you know, it's good stuff and, and just want to put out there so that people don't think that like this last reset or whatever was this quick, seamless, easy thing. Um, you know, we will get into how things were repopulated a little more in another, you know, set. And, um, and a lot of that stuff, uh, I'm sure we'll get to it. There's so much, and this is just the beginning. So I want to thank you for tuning in to the red thread podcast. And, uh, this has been another random thought process with random Randy. And thank you for tuning in and have a great rest of your day. Oh, and, uh, give me a thumbs up or, you know, a like, or, you know, send this stuff out to others. Let them take a look over here. And I want to see what they think. I'm really, really hoping to gain some perspectives, some opinions from you folks uh, on what you think is going on. Um, because this is just as I see it through my eyes. So looking forward to hearing from you all and uh, much love to everybody out there.